Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector GP podcast. I'm your host, Bono GP, joined as always by my co-host, Alisa, who you can follow on Twitter at Alisa Vida and myself at Bono GP underscore. As normal, we are back with our race review this weekend with the San Marino Grand Prix race review, which cooked up quite a storm in different areas across Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. We'll get into all of that. Um, first of all, Alisa, how are you? And out of 10, what would you give this weekend as a whole? Well, that's that's a hard question. Out of ten, I think the weekend overall, like a six, maybe that's maybe that's a bit generous. But I thought you know, Moto, Moto three and Moto <laughs> maybe, generous. I mean, Moto three and Moto two always, you know, you're used to it being good. Moto two, you know, a bit lackluster at times. I wouldn't say this is the most exciting race we've seen, but you know, it's it's it hasn't been the worst. Let's say that. Okay, I mean, yeah, six, six is, I think six is fair. I was going to say, like, maybe for me, probably a seven. Like, not a blockbuster mm-hmm. weekend, but not like, you know, we've had some news, we've had some, we obviously we obviously had the test. Yeah, true, uh, if you consider this. those things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we've had the test this afternoon. Uh, we are recording this Monday evening, so we have got the results in with that, which we'll get into a little bit later once we've covered the race review side of things on Moto3, which we'll get straight into. Um yeah, a bit of a mixture of kind of like what I would say a Moto2 and a Moto3 race in this respect because we had a breakaway group of Alonso, Messia, Onchu and Munoz and we had a bit of a kind of almost like a, a cycling race in this respect because we had a huge group behind and then just a lead pack that were just another... They, I think all weekend they just set the marker, didn't they? Especially Alonso, Messia and Onchu. I think Munoz did really well to hold on to that group but just didn't have that extra bit, did he, towards the end to to fight for a podium, but the same quartet that fought for the podium in Catalonia. So it was quite interesting in that respect. But overall, in terms of news in Moto3, obviously we had the confirmation of Diego Moreira moving up next year with the Ital Trans team. And it's only a matter of time that we believe that we're going to hear on the future of Dennis Onchu moving to the IO squad in Moto2, who did take part in the Pirelli test last week with that same team. So in regards to news, that's pretty much it. The biggest news in terms of race result, though, would you say, Elisa, is Holgado having another non-score in terms of points, finishing all the way down in 16th in Misano, looked nowhere all weekend. And would you say the momentum is firmly gone completely with Holgado? And what do you think is missing? I, I wouldn't say it's completely gone, but it's definitely, you know, when you have, you know, recency is always the thing we look at when, when you have had two weekends of, you know, a crash out of out of a good place. And then now I think this weekend is even more damning, damning in the sense that he, he never really seemed to have any speed. You know, I, I think that's worrying, you know, obviously it's not, the, not good to crash from the from the places that he did in Catalonia, but at least he was there. You know, he had the speed. He was fighting there in the lead. But this race, like, nothing was happening for him. And he just looked backwards. Like, that's not really something we have seen from him this year. I, I don't think so. So that that's pretty shocking. But, you know, I'm, I'm not making any judgment on his form based on one weekend. Maybe it's just somehow hates the Misano track with all his might or something like that. I have no idea. Or, or something really went wrong but yeah it's a surprising thing i wouldn't have expected holgado to to be like this definitely not you know giving him much confidence going in flyaways as you have you know 
which are usually grouped together in the sense that they might be weird ones and you need to really be on your game when you go go outside of your comfort zone in Europe. But I wouldn't still, you know, I'll say let's see after India how he has bounced back from this. Yeah, I think his season's been in two halves, really, because you look at the first six races and he's got three wins and the other three results, he's finished in the top six. And since those first six races, in the previous six races, he's finished in the top three, three times, and the other three are all non-scores or crashes. So he's had a bit of a mixed bag, and maybe, like you say, once India comes around and the flyaways turn up, maybe he picks up form. But I do worry for Holgado's sake, if he doesn't have that top six kind of pace in India... And let's say somebody takes over at the front. I mean, it's always easier, they say, chasing as opposed to leading a championship. But with somebody who looked, minus the results in championship standings, I think week to week we looked at Holgado and you kind of had that awe about him that you expected him to come through no matter what. And at the minute, it looks a little bit like, like you said, he just didn't have any speed the whole way through Mazzano weekend. Even on Friday... It was like he was clutching at straws to get into the top 14 to make that Q2 spot. Just got in and then Saturday morning missed out again, but had nothing to fight back with. And we're talking about somebody at the beginning of the year that you just put so much trust in qualifying practice race, always fighting through. And obviously the season's not over yet. He could go on to win the championship, but he's having a bit of a bump in the road at the minute. So all... All around, not a great weekend for Danny Holgado, one they'll definitely want to forget. But in terms of the ones that did perform, I mean, we had a great fight for the win, didn't we? Between Alonso, Messier, Onchu and Munoz. A few people in there who were not scared to get their elbows out. And I'll be honest, it looked it looked all of Messier's race to begin with. I mean, he led, kind of started to stretch away. Dennis Onchu put in the time to, to kind of claw him back in. And then Dennis Onchu making that slight mistake in the last slap running wide messiah sending it all the way into that turn 14 and just leaving the door open for alonso and he has shown through this season alonso that he is very measured especially for a rookie a lot of the moves he makes to win races and a lot of moves he makes just to make into the top five he's very measured he kind of gives me like not entirely on terms of what alicia spargaro is but what we've seen in terms of alicia spargaro currently making that killer move when it counts, whether it be for a top three or a top six. He has that about him, but Alonso, for somebody so young, he has that in, in abundance. Do you know what I mean? He has that times 100 for somebody as a rookie. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on Alonso as a whole. I mean, you mentioned the season of two halves for Holgado. I think Alonso is other one. Like He had, had one podium the first half of the season, but now he has had... One non-score and three wins. It's it's it, insane that form really, and you know you, you consider that when he crashed out of the I can't remember Austria race was it? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, leading, yeah, he, was he was leading. He, he, he had just got that. So you know you, you can't really fault him for the speed and always you, you see him always going forward. So I think I'm I'm so surprised he's not a rookie. Uh, like or that he is a rookie in that sense because because he looks. He, he looks to be in control of what he's doing at the moment. And when you look at the championship standings, you know, he's only 20 points out of the championship lead, you know. I'm not making any predictions for him to win it, but he's definitely in it as we go to the fly, flyaways. So it, it would be shocking to see if 
if if the guys guess team managed to keep another title with them with a rookie, I don't think anyone expected this this much to come this soon. Yeah, anyone... I think, yeah, I think with Alonso though, that the power that he he has is he has nothing to lose in the sense of he's a rookie. So if he like in Austria, he goes all out and he crashes from the lead. I don't think Gas Gas are going to be... Obviously, they're going to be disappointed that he's crashed, of course, but they're not going to be crying their eyes out because you've got a rookie that's showing such raw speed that all he needs is that kind of nurturing that he's shown in the last two weekends to have to learn from his mistakes and win races. He's winning multiple races as a rookie. So if he keeps up the form that he's showing and fights in that consistent level of a top three, top five, why not put him in the bracket of, you know fighting for a world championship it's you don't want to paint everybody with the same brush as a Pedro Acosta and expect a rookie to win a world championship which is why no one expects him to win it but if he has that kind of pressure on his shoulders where go out there do your best every weekend like he is doing if he keeps on like he is he is definitely 100% in the fight for the championship not necessarily to win it but Raw speed this weekend, he went out on his own, did his thing, and it showed pivotal. It was completely pivotal when it came to that breakaway group because he could run with that group, no problem at all, and fight for that podium. And playing it smart at the end of it proved even more important to collect all 25 points. So he really, really impresses me. And honestly, for, for a rider so young, and granted he's experienced in his junior category, but when it comes to the World Championships and you've got people that have all done well at junior categories to get there, he just shows such calm and such intelligence when it comes to those pivotal, important moments in a race. And yeah, like I said, he, he is massively impressing people that have not heard of him before. And if, if anybody did watch him in junior categories, he was incredible. So I'm not surprised, but it's, it's frightening for somebody that age to be that, that good. So... All in all, a fantastic race in Moto3. Any points you want to bring up in regards to the race? Anybody that impressed you? Obviously, we had Colin Vaya, who really stood out. Again, another rookie that I could bang on about in terms of showing sparks this year and in junior category. And pulled it home for a P5 and broke away from that main pack, didn't he? So anybody you want to point out, Elisa? Maybe, maybe not a rider of the day as such, but somebody that kind of stood out to you this weekend, good or bad? Mm, I think... Kaitatoba, looking at him earlier in the race, he was running pretty well at that point. He obviously faded downwards, but you know, it, it's always, always good when you get at least part of the race you can run. Obviously, you want the results, but I think running up there still, it gives you some more, more confidence in that sense. So, you know, he has not had the best, you know, best results either way. So it's, it, it was a good showing in that sense, I think. Uh, at least that's what I, I realized. Yeah, two points I want to bring up actually before we move off of uh, Moto3 is. Tatsuki Suzuki, a former race winner there in 2019 with the Sitch 58 Squadra Course team, finishing all the way down in P15. I really don't know what's happened to Tatsuki Suzuki. He seems to have just dropped off an edge, like the cliff edge of performance. And again, a rider who has won on what you would argue a less performing bike in the, the Sitch 58 team. And he's in a bike, on a bike now that proven with Messia and multiple other riders in, in Leopard. I just I just don't get what's going on with Suzuki. I don't know if he'll be there next year. You imagine if Leopard want to fight at the front that they won't renew that, that agreement with uh, Tatsuki Suzuki. But 
just really surprising, really, for me. I, I, I just I don't really get that one. And yeah, when you're just another one I want say, to bring up, go on quickly. Go yeah, on. just you're saying on the Leopard thing, because, you know, we all know Masia is stepping up, so probably Leopard would want to have, they don't have a show fire, you know, championship rider at this moment. So yeah. I, I can't see them. Maybe they're going from Saroki so or other other talented riders at the category who are not moving up. I think uh, it's hard to see with this form, them keeping Suzuki out there. Yeah, the, the the team I wanted for Leopard was actually David Munoz and Ivan Altola. However, David Munoz has renewed with the BOE uh, team, which, I mean, if he's comfortable there, that's that's all well and good. And maybe they will go on to win races with him. But I don't know what he had on the table, obviously. Um, but you would expect they want somebody that can fight for a world championship in that team. And I personally think that even Altola, if... That is a, an available seat for him. I think he would be brilliant for Leopard, proving his early year form and just needing that that package to go. We obviously know that the um, the Anglers MTA team is not the most funded team in Moto3. And if Ortola's being selfish, which in this business you have to be, if a rider like that comes up at Leopard and he takes it, I think that could be the making of him. Um, speaking of rides... We've found out that Joel Kelso will not be staying at the CF Moto team. And for a rider with such talent, I find bizarre for him not to be in Moto3 next year. And it's such a sad state of affairs if he is not in that in that category next year. I think he's been very unlucky with what happened at Portimao and the injuries that he had, not being able to show what talent he does have. But the, the, the talent that he has shown... You know, we a guy that has fought in the in the front pack on multiple occasions, and riders that, you know, no disrespect, but Tatsuki Suzuki, who I've just mentioned, who's been in that 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 category for years, and remains in Moto Three, I find really really bizarre. So, fingers crossed, Joel Kelso can find a ride for next year. But sad to hear that he will not be staying on in that team. Um, riders of the day, Elisa, who's your who's your pick for this week? My pick is probably David Munoz, you know, if he hasn't had a podium, I just realised that since the start of the season, but I think with this form, you know, he's already, always there with the lead group, you know, it's a matter of time if he keep keeping this up, it's a matter of time when, it, when another podium comes his way, because, you know, as you said, he, he only really lost it at the penultimate or the couple laps before when he had a big scare on all on his bike at that moment that he lost it a bit like the, like the podium top three but but before that he was uh, relatively in the mix for them but you know it's always Munoz has turned into a bit of an injury you know you, you always see him and you're mm. afraid of whatever moves he makes but generally you know he's he's been still keeping it upwards you know yeah. you know excluding last last weekend's race so it's 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 a pretty good showing I think I think from him overall I like I like watching him yeah, he's definitely a blockbuster rider, isn't he, David Munoz? He's <laughs> he's never one to shy away from getting his elbows out, which if you're a, a complete neutral, him and Dennis Onchu are probably your favourite riders without knowing a thing about the sport. Um, but yeah, great show. I think I completely agree with what you said there. Matt has gone with Vaya, who, no surprise there, he says managed to beat his teammate and multiple podium contenders, which is, again, completely true, as we referred to earlier. He's, he's beat some great names there, and he just continues to show phenomenal speed for such a young kid and a rookie um i'm gonna go with tayo forasato who mm. might not be on everybody's lips but in p11 a rider that to begin with in moto three i mean 
if you're talking about junior category, he came into Red Bull Rookies, I believe. I don't know if I'm sure it was Red Bull Rookies, and actually won his first race in Red Bull Rookies halfway through the season. And it was almost this newcomer of you know Japanese motorsport that everyone was expecting to come through and knock people down. And I think he's shown green shoots. Sadly, he's not had that good a form. But a rider who I think at the beginning of the year we kind of just assumed would be towards the back and has just quietly gone about his business and snoo like just kind of embedded himself into the into the near top ten with a P eleven and to fight for those kind of positions in that pack when you consider, you know, only half a second in front of him is P six, that's not bad for a rider who, again, has kind of embedded himself in the in the backpack to begin uh, this season, but has slowly worked his way towards the points and top ten. So a rider who I do think has a future in Moto three and in hopefully in Moto two and GP. But um yeah, great ride for Tayo Ferrosato and he is my rider of the day. So moving on up to Moto two, we had a finish of Pedro Acosta, Celestino Vietti and Alonso Lopez. Um pure dominance from Pedro Acosta. He made that look absolutely easy um and i did think i would have jinxed him like i do usual uh do usual do usually um in saying that i thought pedro acosta saturday evening and my prediction was that he would wipe the floor with everybody and my god did he um he finished six seconds in front of celestino vietti but that doesn't really convert into what was going off in the entire race i think celestino just ran out of tire and just chose to bring bring it home safely um and Celestino, for the majority of that race, if he wasn't pushing for Pedro Acosta, if Pedro Acosta wasn't in that race, Celestino Vietti was a mile in front of everybody else as well. So a class above for those two. Nice to see Celestino return back to some form. And a surprising result, actually, I think, for Tony Arbolino. I wasn't expecting him to, to get up to P4 because all weekend struggled. And then he seemed to have found something in Saturday's practice and just slowly worked his way towards P4 and nearly got that podium, um, missing out to Alonso Lopez. So, Elisa, your thoughts on the Moto2 race as a whole? I mean, it's it was obvious at the start of the year that Pedro Costa was class of the field, but, you know, seeing performances like this, you really think that, you know, well, it's, it's inevitable that he's going to win the championship, you know, come hell or hell or whatever the saying goes, however the saying goes anyway, but, but yeah, barring an injury of course but yeah it's it's i was still you know considering how fast the costa was all weekend i think i was surprised to see Vieri just uh you know up there at the beginning of it and you know he really went for it obviously it's a it's a home race he was there with the others as well so it's a it, you know and i was happy to see him bounce back after last weekend you know tough race he still climbed up but in results wise so you know this hopefully you know we have seen celestino come over to rut better off because, because uh, after you know so so I think it's a good bounce back run in that sense and I agree it was kind of the same with Arbolino I think the podium would have been nicer for him but at home but I think it was a good enough ride in that sense yeah definitely to bounce back from what's been a, a weird period for Tony Arbolino I mean again since last being on the podium in Germany he's had results of 7th 10th 6th, 17th and 4th so not championship contending form 
but a P4 is definitely, you know, salvageable, if you like, in terms of a, a, a championship form that you would look for in finishing in the top five on a consistent basis. As I said, and as you've said, Celestino, nice to see him sort of kind of ruffling some feathers towards the top end and at home, sadly enough, didn't get the win. And I mean, to be honest, it's looking like Italy is a great hunting ground for Pedro Acosta. He doesn't just win there. He just completely dominates in Italy. So no pizzeria celebration this week <laughs> with uh, Pedro Acosta. But again, some great results for people who have not had great form. I mean, Alonso Lopez is a bit of a hit and miss, isn't he, week to week? He, some weekends you expect him to be right up there and some weekends he's lingering within the top five. But recently, Silverstone, retirement, Austria, 21st, Catalonia, P8, and then gets back on the podium. So that's his third, oh, sorry, no, I apologise, fourth podium this year. And what I was expecting with Alonso Lopez, again, I know the Boscoscora is more consistent towards the front end now as opposed to what it used to be. But with last year's end-of-season form, I was expecting more from Alonso Lopez, I can't lie. I mean, you look at Philip Island, he was unbelievable towards the end of the season. And we heard talks about him and Yamaha and, you know, future contract proposals with them. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put down Alonso Lopez, but what I'm saying is, is this is the form I expected from him. You know, I expected him to fight with the likes of Arbolino with podiums and maybe he's got a ride elsewhere maybe he stays with Bosco Scora I know Bosco Scora have got great you know like a great relationship with both their riders but is it the bike or is it Alonso Lopez that allows him to not be able to fight week in week out I'm not sure but I think if he's looking to move up to GP this is the standard he needs to set wouldn't you agree yeah, definitely. Like, as you said, you know, is it the bike or is it him? But, you know, when you have seen last year's results, you know, he has been winning multiple, he has won multiple races. You know, this is this is not really the form. Like, like I would have expected, I, I also subscribed to the idea that the Boscoscora is not the best bike, but I would have thought maybe that the highs would be higher, that he would have won a race. I think that's my idea, that he would have been on podiums and then not quite beat there. Maybe maybe some lower lows also. Like, he's been quite middle mm-hmm. of the pack. You know, he's been, at the start of the year, he was on the podium at the verge of it, but he's really slipped out of that. So I, I really thought it would be fluctuating a bit more based on the fact that he, as you said, showed some incredible speed at the at the end of the last year. So, yeah, I, I can't really say or say what's up, but I mean, definitely, you know, you know, he he was good last year at the end of the year. So maybe maybe he's just gathering up some steam to be winning a few races at Leicester and Filipana next year, this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously he won, didn't he, at Mazzano last year? Um, yeah. And last, like I say, Philip Island is an example for anyone that didn't watch that race. He, how many seconds off off the top of your head do you think he finished in front? It was like, was it like? 12 or like 11 it, it was yeah, tw- I would have said 12 it was ridiculous he was so far ahead of everybody and it was not a one-off because as soon as he won at Bizarro it was like every weekend you thought he could win this weekend and you wouldn't be surprised um but yeah it just again I, I really do like Alonso Lopez and I, I do hope that we do see him in MotoGP in the future but I think this is the standard that he needs to set and in terms of standards Jake Dixon was just nowhere was he this weekend he finished p12 had a bad qualifying i think he had a technical issue at the beginning of qualifying and never really put his foot down on it which is surprising 
because on Friday he was kind of with Celestino, the only guy within, <laughs> dare I say this, he was the only guy within half a second of Pedro Acosta, seeing as though nobody was under half a second of him. But, he, you know, he was the only rider with Vietti that looked like could maybe, maybe if they found an extra few tenths, stop Pedro Acosta and... Lo and behold, in the race, he just never progressed forward, did Dixon. And it was surprised me. I've not read or listened into his debrief or, you know, his post-race interview, but surprising because usually towards the end of a race, even if he is outside the top 10 or wherever he is, Dixon is always strong at the end of the race, but he never really moved forward. So, again, championship contenders, if you're Pedro Acosta this weekend, you are absolutely laughing because... Tony Arbolino, even if it is a P4, it's points. Obviously, he's won, so he's gained points on everybody, but no one is on the podium that's fighting for this World Championship with him. And he's just done it in fine fashion. So, as you said, it's it's almost inevitable now that Acosta will go on and win this title. Never say never. Never say never. But he is really putting his foot down. I mean, Acosta's worst results are a retirement in France and a P12 in Argentina. Apart from that, Apart from that, his worst result is P6, and that's a one-off. So you take those three results out of it, he's always on the podium. He's been on the podium every other race. It's championship form. So no surprises there, I think, Elisa, with uh, with Pedro Acosta's form this year. It's kind of what we expected. No news on his future in GP. Um, there has been, I put it in the Discord recently, that there's been a, a rumour, so to speak, that KTM have offered Jack Miller double his salary with 10 wild cards, supposedly, supposedly, um, to, but he has to step aside for Pedro Acosta. We don't know the truth in that rumour, but it's a rumour that has been circulating along with a couple of other rumours. So, again, it could be absolute you know, rubbish. It could be completely true. We're not sure, but there's there's definitely one thing for sure in there. There is some ongoing negotiation still with Pedro Costa because Gas Gas were meant to announce something in Austria for sure. That was almost kind of, you know, we were waiting, weren't we? We were waiting to hear something from Gas Gas and nothing's come out since from KTM. And we were so certain in Austria at home they were going to announce something with somebody like they normally do. But no one, apart from Brad Binder, nobody has had their future confirmed. So people think Paul Aspargo is nailed on and we'll get to GP soon. But I don't think apart from Brad Binder, anyone's nailed on for their future. And it's sort of waiting in vain. And with a performance like this with Pedro Acosta, do you see him going to KTM factory team? I mean, as, as I said before, you know, KTM has, has had, you know, past... A past form on putting rookies as Rain Brad Binder on, on their bike. And, you know, I, I don't think I would be crucified for saying that Pedro Acosta is, has shown better better form than Brad Binder has in his junior, junior class. And Brad Binder is no slouch in his in itself. I think, you're, so I think, I think you're saying what Pedro Acosta's agents probably say. Yeah, yeah. I could I could work as the agent, you know. I, I think I, I think I, my A1 level Italian and the Spanish would, would do me well enough. I also know I also know German, so I could I could speak in from the Austrians anyway. But yeah, but yeah, I just you know I, one thing is for certain, uh, or two things. Brad Binder is going to be on the KTM factory seat, and Pedro Costa is going to GP. But on which bike, you know, it's like the Jack Miller thing. On one sense, I can't really 
like I think PR wise, you know, I don't think at this hour, you know, throwing away any of the riders would be a good good move in the sense that, you know, it's not gonna look pretty either way, whichever rider they got rid of. I think maybe the best options for them would be if they got Augusto Fernandez either another seat in GP or they got Paulus Parker with uh, like, a, like a testing role. Because like when you consider it like the uh, I, I I know that Jack Miller isn't the perfect rider, but after you have thrown out Miguel Oliveira for Jack Miller to get on a multi-year deal on your on your bike on the factory team and promised him the world, and then you will, would be you know, giving him a glorified test rider role with wild cards, it's 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 not a good look in that sense, you know. Even if it's Pedro Acosta who's taking a seat, you know, I, I get on the performance side that you want Acosta on your bike, but. I don't. I still don't think that you know getting rid of Jack Miller would be the best move, especially he's he's a very well liked rider as well. Yeah, I don't think reputation wise it's a good look, but we are talking about a caliber of rider here with the stock value that we've basically never seen before. Really, That's true. I mean, yeah, it, you know, Mark Marquez is within the same bracket of rider in terms of stock value prior to moving to Premier Class with Valentino Rossi. These are names that when you put into the the same hat of stock value prior to moving to the Premier Class, that if you're Pedro Costa's manager, you are definitely saying this across the media <laughs> table. You you are. You are. Yeah. Right? There's no way you're not saying it. And even if you say it or not, KTM know that. They know that. And the reason I bring this up with a KTM and a Costa with a factory ride is because personally I think that if Pedro Costa was going to gas gas, I think it would have been announced. I think it would have been announced. Oh, yeah. And it would have been a Okay, you're going to go to Gas Gas. And basically, Augusto Fernandez and Paulo Spargo, from now, you will fight for your seat. I think it would have just been announced like that, personally. The fact that it's not been announced, and Augusto Fernandez hasn't been announced, and Jack Miller's contracted, but we've not heard any definite pedagogy. Put it this way, if Pedro Costa was not going to the factory team, KTM would have come out publicly and said, no, it is Jack Miller and Pedro Costa for next year. They would have done, but they haven't. So there's no way on earth that these 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 conversations are not happening. There's no way yeah, they're not, not it's, happening. It's definitely up in the air, you know, I think. And, you know, given, like, Pedro Costa's form is great. And then you look at the KTM riders, and no one is really shining apart from Matt Brad. Again, so it's not yeah, like it's, it's not like anyone anyone is making a great point for themselves to be kept on at this hour, you know. Yeah, it's I mean, it... you've got Pedro Costa wiping the floor in Moto Two this weekend, and you've got Jack Miller, who before crashing out was quite literally nowhere all weekend. It doesn't look great does it like let's be honest whether whether the reputation of doing this works or it doesn't it doesn't look great for jack miller when last week he was nowhere this week he's nowhere and he's cr either way you look at that you've got pedro costa who we all know if he crashed the next two races he is still the biggest name in moto 2 and the biggest stock value we've had since mark marquez that everyone would want and you've got Jack Miller, who kind of needs to perform to show why they should keep him, even if 
Pedro Costa signs for Gas Gas, you've still got a ride to defend there for the future. So, yeah, you know. yeah, it's like if if Pedro signs for Gas Gas, then you know Jack Miller has just bought himself one extra year in my mind. You know, I I don't think if if and when Acosta is as good as he is promised to be. I think he will be that good. I, I don't think there's I don't think there's any anything that will be saving Jack Miller's seat in, in KTM at that hour. Yeah, and I look at it if you know if I'm KTM and we're all saying between ourselves at KTM, well, we're going to move a Petro Costa up anyway. They're all going to sit there and go, well, why don't we just do it now? You know what? Like Honda with like why why wait? Get him in KTM. And have him get, give him all the support that he needs, so that you have Pedro Costa in the best form that you can have him in. Why not? You know, I'm sorry, it sounds selfish, but this is a selfish business, and it's a performance-based business. So, I mean, I if you would trust love that it. he will perform. Why not give him all the support? Why I mean, I, I would love, I would love it. Obviously, I, I love to. I'm so excited to see what Acosta will do in GP. But I would, I would love it if they threw him next to Brad Bender and went, you know, yeah. or because show I, us. Pedro Costa's manager will be sitting there saying, if you believe in this rider and you want this rider to be the next big thing for KTM and you want us to put our commitment to KTM, then then show it. You know, show how much you are committed. Because if your commitment is a one plus one year on a gas gas, they're going to go, okay, all right, yeah, we'll we'll do that. And if Ducati come in next year, the following and go, would you like Bastianini's seat? They're going to go, okay. See you later, KTM. And they've lost their biggest asset that they've ever had to put on their factory bike in GP from the beginning of time. So it's a big, big decision to make for KTM. And I didn't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but it's definitely worth saying because right now that is happening. That is a conversation that is happening. And as we speak, those those negotiations will be going on. And I don't want to leave it till... Sepang and it have been confirmed and we say on here oh we did say that this was going to happen and let's not say it you know so it's worth bringing up I thought I'd bring it up now and um yeah we'll finish off with our riders of the day for Moto2 I'll start with Matt's who has picked Roberts Joe Roberts solid top 10 finish on the back of the news that he's returning to the American racing team um yeah, not not a bad result for Joe. I think he's kind of found a little bit of form towards the kind of middle point of the points. And as Matt says, for his countrymen, a solid top 10 finish. I'm going to go for Ayagora, who actually was down way back in, I believe, like 14th, 13th with Jake Dixon, actually. And I thought maybe they, them two will move forward together. Jake didn't. And Ayagora actually fought his, his, all the way through to P5 and actually only finished a second behind Tony Arbolino. So Ayagora really impressed me in that sense. A few other good rides. If it wasn't for Ayagora, I would pick Mattia Pasini because he is always the rider of the day in my eyes. I absolutely love Mattia Pasini. It was so good to see him back. Um, so yeah, kind of a split vote for me, if you like. But if, if you want to pick one of those riders, Elisa, then I, I won't begrudge you for taking him away from my rider of the day. I mean, I would have guessed beforehand, before you said Ayagora, that you were going to say Mattia Passini. You know, he, he did have a great ride again, so, so it's not like it would be unwarranted at all. But I think, my rider of this, going to be some kid chance, right, you know, with the team of the Asia team. I think, you know, obviously Ayagora beat him and he lower a lower on forwards. But I think some kid is, he's been like, okay, this year, some, some worse results. But in general, like around the top 10, you know, we, 
with sometimes not on the podium result, but I think you know, Homer is coming up and stuff like that. I can, I think he could, he could do have a podium at some point, you know, if if it rains especially. But but even if it doesn't, you know, I think I think you know, maybe last year's win and stuff like that really put up the expectations for him too much because people are coming into the season maybe thinking that he could be better than he is. But I don't think it's been a massive disappointment this season in in, in many senses. But I think a podium would be nice at the end of the year. Yeah, no, I I think Chantra's actually had a better year than what people probably think. If you go and look at his results, he's actually had a better year than Ayagora. I know Ayagora was injured going into the season, but for a rider that we expected to come in and hit the ground running and be so, you know, important to that team and be fighting for wins week in, week out, it's not quite happened. And the only race he really fought for the win was Assen, wasn't it, with Jake Dixon for Ayagora. So Chantra's not won, but he's been consistent and... Yeah, I think I think that's a great shout for Moto Two. That's Moto Two done, and we move on to Moto GP, which we will be blending in with some testing talk and again our race results as always. So, the sprint winner and race winner was Jorge Martin, followed by Marco Bezzecchi and Francesco Bagnaia, which I cannot believe I'm saying following the incident that happened at Barcelona last week. Um, no rants this weekend in regards to Bagnaia's health because he is all well and good, so to speak, <laughs> uh, <laughs> albeit struggling to get on and off the bike. And again, we don't need to talk upon how different these these people are because they're just another breed in terms of ha- the toughness and their durability to get on that that level of motorbike and perform to that level is insane considering the injuries and what they go through knowing it could happen every week so again that stands for them all not just Pecco uh, a great result for Ducati at home with a one two three and I kind of want to warrant Ped- uh, Danny Pedrosa with a podium because I almost wanted them to have one two three and then a little fourth step for for Danny Pedrosa yeah. he just he deserved that podium so bad and I really wanted him to get it because he is just an alien, isn't he? he? He's just another breed, Danny Pedrosa. Yeah, I think you can talk all you everything about, you know, the new chassis and him having tested there before. And I think one of them played the factor in it. But when you look at it, like the wild cards we have had, we have had bad wild cards in the last years. No one has come close to what Danny Pedrosa is doing doing in a wild card setting. You know, it's I get that the results probably maybe wouldn't be this. You know, if he was a full-time rider, I, I, I don't think Danny's health could handle this season, to be honest. So I think it's better if he isn't a full-time rider with this amount of injuries. But, you know, when you have these sort of results, I was just thinking that, you know, why isn't this man a full-time rider anymore? Like, like he, he clearly has the speed to be there. It sucks that he isn't. But, I mean, I, I enjoy these wild cards. I'm glad he has done, you know, two of them now. It's just... Like, like, like the man was fourth in the grid in qualifying. Like, like, what? It's just when you're outperforming all the other KTM riders, it's it's <laughs> not a good look for the KTM riders. But we know how good Danny Pedrosa is. Yeah, I just wish there was like a, you know, like a what you know, you know, there's the uh, they put in Park Thurman, you know, a satellite team if they are in the yeah. satellite riders at the podium. I wish there was a like wild, wild card version of that. Like, put Danny Pedrosa in there, it maybe. Maybe he, he would have felt it was a pity podium or something like that, but you know, he deserves to be celebrated for that because he was by far the best 
this part of the race. Like the most excitement I got was seeing Danny Pedrosa, you know, climbing upwards and catching the 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 reigning world champion. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we sit there saying we were excited for Danny Pedrosa. I can only imagine Solomon was absolutely just in another dimension when it came to seeing Danny <laughs> Pedrosa on both races finish P4 because I know Solomon is a huge Danny Pedrosa. I won't say fan, I would probably say obsessor, maybe is the right word. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I, they I should make, yeah, I think they, they, given this result, I think if Danny does a wild card somewhere like Valencia, I think he's going to win it or something. I genuinely think if he did Valencia, he would win. I, I don't know for definite, but I think I'd be, he, he set a bar of if they did Valencia with him, I would be surprised if he wasn't on the podium. Do you know what I mean? I think he's he's that yes. good and at Valencia as well. Um, it might happen. Who knows? But Danny Pedrosa's just... He's, he's at that level, isn't he, where he's just like, meh, probably not. Like, I, I probably just won't turn up. Like, you know, he, he just he just does what he wants. Rightfully so, he deserves to do what he wants in this in this paddock because he just is that level. He's that good. Um so again, this is not the Danny Pedrosa podcast, but he deserves his own segment in, in today's show. So again, full credit to Danny, Danny Pedrosa. He is Matt's rider of the day without an explanation because again, he doesn't need one. Um, but again, standout results. We have Mark Marquez finishing P7, which is... I, I If you just said to me five years ago that me saying the sentence made sense, I would question <laughs> if the world's gone mad. But a great result for Mark Marquez. <laughs> Finishing P7. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say. I wasn't expecting the soft tyre to last, but he made it last. And take it away, Elisa, yeah, because just... I don't know what to say. I mean, first of all, you know, Mark did his usual things, getting into in Q2, following Danny Pedrosa around and, you know, getting the last up, which is, you know, last from the past, as he, as he would say. But, you know, he, you know that that's really where he gets a job done in the sense that obviously he... He rides well. It's not like he was slapped lap times in the soul, but it's it's you know qualifying where he does the magic and then he just hangs on for dear life within the races. And then this weekend, you know, you, you saw all the all the Honda rider, Honda riders going for the soft rear, which is, I think it's just it's just a bit because they have literally no grip in the rear, so their yeah. only option is to go for the soft tire. Which you know, when you look at all the other tires in the race, you realize that's not the tire to be on for the race mm. at all. Like uh, so, it's it's already putting them in a worse position. So I think. I think this is a similar as we talked about last week. Was it Fabio's result in the top ten? It's it's a similar thing. So you know, like, it's it's a really a heroic ride when you think about it. And you know, Mark did gain when Brad Binder crashed out, and he did gain when Luca Marini made a mistake and went wide. But still, he was there, and he for the whole race he fought off like like the Arda Fabrius, who both had an okay race. I think Raul especially being up there, but still, yeah, I just yeah, I can't believe they're saying that Mark is finishing seventh is a good good thing but I think that once again just so showing how good he is in that sense that I'm just I'm all, all the time I see him doing these things and I cry because the bike is so bad. <laughs> it is it, it really is. Um yeah I think we've kind of sympathized all year haven't we with with Mark and Fabio with just watching again Joamir chucked into that bracket as well. These are just incredible level of riders that are just riding around at just the, the worst points in their career in terms of Grand Prix. Mark especially, you're talking about a guy that I've just said a great result for Mark in P7. I mean, 
you're talking about a rider that has gone all the season in the past whenever he's finished P1 or P2. You know what I mean? We're not talking about a rider that trails around in top five and maybe a good weekend is a podium. Mark expects nothing but number one and rightfully so winning eight world championships. So to say P7 is a great result, in retrospect it is, but for this season just puts it into perspective of the season that they are having. Um, not to blend riders of the day, which we normally do towards the end of each category too early, but I P8 Ralph Fernandez is my rider of the day. I think a rider who's had no luck, I said it last week on the previous podcast, he's had no luck whatsoever with injury and with mechanical failure and has been labelled as a back marker to some people. That goes to show the level of rider you're talking about. P8, fantastic result for RNF with a P6 with Miguel Oliveira and P8 with Raul Fernandez. The best weekend they've had all year. So a great, a great ride for Raul Fernandez. And as we've said previously, Jack Miller obviously crashing out with Michele Pirro. I've not seen the crash in full. Paula Spargro, as we mentioned previously, five crashes this weekend. Um, again, every time said, I saw, I saw Paul, he was crashing. I think, yeah. I think once he started crashing, because he wasn't slow, I don't think that's the problem with Paul. It's just, you know, obviously he's a he's a flawed rider, but he's a quite fast rider when he when he rides on, and it just it just I think. He might get into his head a bit, like it must be like cases and stuff like that. Like once you know you might do have to can do something, then it's just you know it gets away and you know you sign crash out and do these things. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame because I think Paul has more to show than this. Yeah, he's still trying to play catch up as well with the injuries that he's had this year. You know, he's he's trying to. You know, he's got not got as much data, he's not got as much practice, let's say, as it is. So he's trying to play catch-up with that. And obviously, I hate to say it for all the Joe Amir fans out there, but again, another crash. And Let's just mention him. Like, I think, I think yeah. I, I'll be happier if we blacklist Joe Amir's name. Like, I, he just doesn't exist at this hour because it's, it's worse than... It's just so sad that every time I mention Joe Amir's name in this podcast now, is just when did he crash or how bad was the crash it's, it, there's no there's no green shoot with Jeremiah anymore and it's so sad because I really do rate him and to me if you were to pick the top 10 riders on just pure talent and pure speed and everything combined mentality IQ you know all as one package and I had to you know basically eliminate the others and say sorry this is going to be a super league, if you like, of MotoGP riders on all the same bike. Joan Mir is 110% in that top 10 for me. He is. You're not a world champion for no reason, and it's just sad. It's just really sad to see. So, again, to bleed into the testing side of things, it's not looked great for Honda. Um, so, uh, it's, it's just it's of the it year. It's not, it's not looking yeah, like it, It's not looking good. We've had Mark test the Honda and come out and said it's basically the same um, there's some packages that work there's some that isn't but still the same result the lap time yeah, still think, the same and the rear grip yeah. is still the same yeah I think the worrying thing is that it's, it's, it doesn't seem like Honda is not trying because they clearly are changing things up and they are bringing new things like they brought the Calex chassis you know they brought the swing arms and now they try new packages but just the, that the overall performance is the same and it just you know it, it just feels like the whole overall the whole 
the whole thing should be scrapped because I I don't think that has any potential in it. Like, like I'm yeah, not an engineer. I, mean, I can't say anything. You know, abandoning a project would be hard, but it just, you know, no one's able to do anything with it. No matter what you change with it, it doesn't get any better. So it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, the worrying thing for Honda is, and I've said it before, is you look at Yamaha and they're trying to bridge this gap to the V4s, um, whatever that may be. And Honda have already got a V4, so it's like, where do they move? Do they just completely re revamp and go in another direction? I don't know. I mean, it's just come out in the last half an hour that Quattararo's comments were not very good in terms of the, the Yamaha. For all the Yamaha fans listening, that's not great. Um, but yeah, Yamaha are now working with well, I say now, they've been working the last year or so as far as, as, far as I'm aware with um, Luca Marmarini, which is the former Ferrari F1 engine designer who has designed next year's M1 with Yamaha. Um, yeah, so not great for Japanese manufacturers, no surprise. I don't really know what the next move is for either of them, really. Um, I don't know yeah, if we have moved to a V4, but if you're Honda you get the same results, you've got the same problems, and you have a V4. I really don't know what the next move is. I really don't. Um, just to read into the times today, the top Honda is Takanakagami with a 131.4, Mark with a 131.5, and Joe Amir with a 131.6. So all within two tenths. The top time is a 130.6 with Luca Marini. Um, Fabio with a 131.1, so a lot closer, but still, you're talking half a second, and Pecco and Marco Bezzecchi have not they've not tested today. It it just doesn't look. They 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 might have made small improvements, but they're not making these vast improvements that are the answers ultimately. So a tough time for the Japanese manufacturers, albeit. This is not the end result. You know, they have a 2024 engine. They have a 2024 package. But this is not the end result. So we might see improvements. We don't We don't know entirely yet. But again, back onto the race result. Um, in terms of the... Forget results for now, I suppose. But in terms of the race itself, I did think it was going to be a three-way battle with then Bezeki and Martin. But Bezeki, I think it was just too little, too late, wasn't it? He, he didn't get passed by Naya in time, struggling to get past him in that sense. But Martin's pace was was great, don't get me wrong. But it does make you think if Bezeki did make it past a little bit earlier, I do think he would have caught Martin because he went past by Naya at two and a half, two point six 2.6 seconds. And he, it got down to, it finished at 1.3, but in terms of, celebrations if you like towards the, the very last straight for Martin it was down to one and a half and that was Martin still pulling away from the rest of the field so it goes to show what pace Bezeki was running at and that was mixed in with a couple of mistakes from Bezeki wasn't it yeah and you know I'll add on to that the fact that you know uh, both uh, both Bezeki and Begnaya were carrying injuries and I thought it was really impressive for both of them you know being that, you know, I, I thought after the sprint race, I really thought that maybe Bezeki was gonna be there, but Magnaia probably wasn't gonna be there at the end of at, at the end of the day uh, on on Sunday. So I think it's a testament to them. Obviously, we don't know the extent of their injury, but it did look like you know struggle. So that 
you know, as impressive as Martin was, he clearly was the fastest at this hour. But it, it makes you think that if if the, the others were at full fitness, I, I wouldn't think that it would have been as commanding as a weekend as it was. Or certainly, I didn't think it, it was at the Pedro Costa weekend. Let's just say that, you know, I don't think it was that way. But I mean, good for Martin in terms of the result that he has gained back like 15 points in the championship for uh, on Bagdaya. But really, you know, not, not the best still, still. And, you know, if, if Martin fancies himself a champion this year, I think it should be a lot more points at this hour. Yeah, I mean, as you say, the, the championship standings now sit at Ban Nair on 283, Martin on 247, and Bezeki on 218. So Binder crashing out, it does look like it's going to be a case of the top three that currently stand are the three that are going to fight for a championship. I would normally say Bezeki's too far away, but with sprints chucked in there, you never know. Um, but you would look back at the likes of Silverstone crashing out when fighting for the lead as probably the... the If you look back at the end of the year and he hasn't won it, that would be what you would look at and say, that was why. Um, yeah. But again, these are two satellite riders facing up against a factory rider. Bezeki on the year older bike, don't forget, Martin on this year's package, but without the factory support that Banaya has. So... It's going to be interesting to see how Ducati level this one out. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the interesting thing when you look at the fight, like as yes, we see, uh, the Ford in the championship, that's really close. Like like you could see, mm. like I can't really say, when you look at Brad Binder, he has now, you know, not really in touch with the with championship leading, but you see Alexis Barcaro and, and the, uh, it's really close. And then you have Zarko and even Marini, maybe. It is Quint, you can see. So it's interesting. I'll be interested to see who will finish fourth in that sense because Ale has been, you know, he's won three races, two races. But Brad Binder hasn't won any, which is surprising about all sprints. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, and obviously, team standings, you have Pramac leading it with VR46 in second. So, you know, obviously, we have Ducati in third, but it's quite interesting to see that a non factory team is fighting for the teams championship obviously constructors is no no surprise that Ducati are leading that we have we have the most exciting fight in the last place to see which of the Honda which of Honda and Yamaha will finish last so I think they are their yeah, people points you know that's yeah. the championship to watch really <laughs> yeah we have a slug for the absolute slowest sloth of them all in uh, Honda and Yamaha as Elisa says on 105 each and a gap of 113 to Aprilia, which neither of them are going to bridge. So, no. quite interesting as well, considering Yamaha are on two bikes and Honda are on four and they're on equal points that far And behind, I mean, which... Honda would be further behind if it wasn't for Alex Rins, because yeah. he scored like 37 points, 34 maybe, on the, on the Coda weekend. So really, Honda should be last, but somehow they aren't. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's more of a sucker punch, as I said before, to Honda than it is Yamaha. Both in horrible positions and standards and where they're at is not yeah. good. But Honda with four riders and one of them being sidelined for that long and they're still on equal points is quite bad. So um, the only thing we have left to do is for you to give us your rider of the day for MotoGP. So Elisa, take it away with that one. I mean, we already talked about this. I, I, I'm not thinking that I can give it to Marquez more often than this. Probably not, not again this year. 
Salamid. No, not saying his performance won't be good, but I think these are rare opportunities, as you would say. So I think I have to pick him, you know. In my... Oh, so you are giving it Mark Marquez? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought in a world when we started this podcast nearly three years ago, whatever it's been, you know, Mark Marquez getting P7 would be a rider of the day result. That would have been... That would have been massively frowned upon and probably thrown off the podcast forever three years ago. But now that is almost celebrated. It's, it is bizarre. But again, like Fabio in weeks gone by, I completely agree. That I, I thought with the way you started that, you were like, I can't bear the thought of giving Mark a rider of the day for P7. But same with me with Fabio in weeks gone by, 100% with the bike that they're riding. It's it's completely deserved um, with Mark in P7. So Mark Marquez, Pedroza, and Ralph Fernandez are our riders of the day. Any other news or points you want to bring up, Elisa, with MotoGP before we sign off? Oh, I just have one question. Go on. Where is Mark Marquez is going to ride next year? Now, this is this is a point that I was going to bring up on signing off, like almost as part of my outro. Um, <laughs> Mark Marquez has been heavily rumoured with Grissini, and with today's comments on the test is looking more and more likely he won't ride for Honda. He has said he has a plan A, plan B, and plan C, which, for anybody who can't figure that out, is Honda, probably Grassini, or retiring, or a year out. And to be honest, I really can't put my finger on it. He said that he's going to announce his future in 20... Not 2024. He's going to announce his 2024 future, sorry, at Sepang... India is going to like decide between then which is like a two-month gap so yeah I don't know I think it's just going to be a case of he'll obviously have a meeting in Mategi which is in a couple of weeks with HRC and ultimately they know it doesn't come down to money I think they could offer him double the salary it doesn't matter to him you know he earns enough he's got enough money in the bank he, you're talking about a rider that's on about and been rumoured to be thinking about buying out his contract to move elsewhere. So money is not an issue. It's ultimately down to results. So who knows? Who knows what comes up? I, I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have a certainty on what you think will happen as opposed to what you think will happen? Like what do we? What do you? Obviously, what do you want? I mean, it's. I think the likelier option still, even if it's all, it's, it's always the conservative choice to, to stay with Honda. I think it's it, it's a likelier choice in that sense because he, uh, let, let, let's be frank here. We are, we are discussing a guy who has a contract for next year and he's openly saying, yeah, yeah I'll just decide what I'm going to do. You know, it's it's bizarre when you think about that. It's, it's the same with the KTM thing, but, but it, it's even more when you think about it. You know, I'm just going to decide if I order this contract or not, but that's just tells you the state of affairs to be certain but yeah i think i think in, in that sense it might be likely that he stays with honda because it's just easier that way but honestly like if i'm mark like why would i believe anything honda says at this moment like like they can't say me anything tell me anything about things getting better i think honestly just the fact that you know whatever development honda does they're not gonna win the championship with the bike next year i i, I doubt there will be any anything that good and i think after that you know why would you stay next year if you don't believe that there's a future in like 25 to win the championship and yeah that, that, I, I just I, yeah that is I where just, i stand with it we're like yeah, if you can't I mean, see a future past next year why would you stay for next year 
yeah, it's just and honestly, like I'm not saying Grassini or anything is like uh, the be all end all because I think uh, I think it would be a step up, step off point in that sense that he would go to someone like Grassini and then be in, a, in the line bed with others, you know, to look for a factory seat in 25, whether it be someone like KTM or Ducati or Aprilia, I don't know. And obviously, there's the risk that you know other factories are going to have riders, but still, he would be in a better position next year to to you know show show. So I think. For his sake, for the sport's sake, honestly, because I think it's better off when Mark is up there fighting. I think Grassini would be a banger move. I think, I think it would after a close side would probably be the main focus. People would be focusing on if you if we were switching on Ducati like next year, testing every 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 camera and every eye would be on his garage if he's if he's doing Ducati things. So I think yeah. I don't think Pecco would allow it though. I'm not. I don't think Pecco has that kind of power as such, but. I think within VR46 management, I think within Pekka winning a world title and now having the power at Ducati and what Ducati probably want, I think it messes Ducati up a lot. If he goes I... to the factory Ducati, I think it messes up a lot because you then have... No, not factory, Pekka. but I mean... Grassini. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, like yeah. for people to think Grassini, then factory. You have yeah. an upset Pekka. Pekka will not be happy because you have ultimately... A... Pekka will think he can beat him on Ducati, of course he will. But it's more a question of the the, the meaning behind signing Mark to a factory bike. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think... You've got Bastianini that will be upset, Bezeki will be upset, Martin will be upset, and then you lose all of that there. That They don't trust then that you, you have them as a priority. They are Ducati riders then, do you know what I yeah. mean? It's to, to leapfrog them and leave a lot of people unhappy would be a bad mistake for Ducati. They've done it in the past, so... You have to learn from that. You have to learn. Yeah, it, it doesn't look likely. I would say that not a factory no. Ducati seat, but I think, I think the only possibility I could see that happening is if next year Mark wasn't aggressive and he was either winning the championship or like almost winning it, because that would make them wonder whether they want to be beaten on a satellite team. And obviously, that's a that that's like a another you know we won't know what his performance will be on the on that bike if he goes there. So it's it's like a it's a, it's a cool, it's a just a hypothesis, hypothetical in that hypothetical in that sense. But if it, if it was so, because I think out of all the riders, Mark would probably be the likeliest to win a win a championship on a satellite bike. So I think in that you know it would make probably Ducati wonder well they would want him winning the championship on a satellite bike and beating our team. Maybe, maybe not. That's that's the only argument I could see for them making that. We will put him on in the factory team for one year. But yeah, it's but it's you, not. You it's me- it would be messy. It would be bad. Yeah, it would. You, the thing is, you can't imagine Mark going to Grassini and being happy forever being on a satellite bike. That's nah, no, that's the thing. So it's very, very interesting. No matter what you think of it, it's very, very interesting. Um, another thing you have to take into account as well is that Monster Energy are associated with the factory Ducati team in terms of the future. Let's not say 2024, 2025, 6, 7, 8, whatever. As for now, they are associated with Monster Energy, and Mark is a Red Bull athlete. So KTM, Honda, and Grassini are all a big tick next to them. But if we're talking about a rider that goes to Grassini, who definitely will not stay with Grassini forever because he wants to be on the factory bike... He has to go somewhere with Red Bull. He's not going to drop his Red Bull sponsorship to go to a Monster Energy associated team. 
not going to happen. So the only answer then is to KTM, who have, by then, Pedro Acosta and Brad Binder. So where does he go? <laughs> you know, yeah, you're forever just... sitting in circles, aren't you, in terms of where you can imagine him ending up. I mean, we'll say yeah, all this just... and maybe he'll make his own bloody factory. You don't know. You really don't know. It's yeah. one of them. But for 2024, honestly, you could put a gun to my head and I wouldn't have an answer for you. I really wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think, let's be honest, staying at Honda would be the most boring answer. And I think I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll shed a fear if that happens, Like, like, honestly. Him going to Gresini Ducati would be such a fun storyline for the year, honestly. I would, I would just thought... It would be fun, but at the same time, like you say, I think if he signed for Honda for even another year, I just... I'll be honest, I don't trust it at all. And not nah. just trusting results, I think it'll be the end of him. That's a sad thing to say, but I think it'll be the end of him because he's going to get impatient and he's going to want to push for results and that is a sad, sad mix, I'm afraid. It just is. Um, but we don't know. We could sit here forever and a day and discuss Mark Marquez's future. We don't know yet. We will see what the future brings. So that's been us. That's been our San Marino GP review. Be sure to give us a follow on all socials and click the link tree in our description. You can follow us all personally on there. You can join our Discord on there. And be sure to leave us a review and a rating and hit that follow button on whatever audio platform you are listening to us on. That's been me, that's been Elisa, and with that, keep the throttle pinned.